Sangram here, super excited. On March 4th, we launched account-based marketing foundations course on LinkedIn in partnership with LinkedIn. There are 19 videos, four minutes and under. So literally in an hour, you can be account-based marketing certified if you have a LinkedIn account. So again, I don't need your email address or anything like that. You can literally go on LinkedIn. If you have a premium account, you can do it for free. If you don't have a premium account, then you can get a 30-day free subscription to that and they will let you take the course. And then you can put that certificate on your LinkedIn saying that you are account-based marketing certified. So good luck. Check it out. It's only going to last for 30 days. So I'm going to have this snippet run for the next few weeks and then it will be gone. So if you want to take this course for free, check it out, go. And this is going to make and change the way you do marketing in your organization. It's actually a team framework. It is marketing and sales truly working together, which is why we said it's, it's to drive account-based success, not account-based marketing. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and in these episodes, we focus on one of two things. We'll either be sharing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from a Flip My Funnel event, or you'll hear Sangram and someone from the Terminus team discuss how they're getting better in a specific functional area of Terminus's business. And remember, like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here, welcome to another episode of the Flip My Funnel podcast. In this one, I'm going to replay a webinar that I did with the good folks at Edgy Data, David and Justin. We're going to talk about the four steps to do account-based marketing using the most amazing framework that I have seen in the last four years called the Team Framework. It really is a conversation. It's something that I really enjoyed and hopefully you will too. So here you go. Welcome to today's broadcast on the four steps to ABM success. I'm David Guerra, the technology content strategist for HG Data. And on today's episode, we have Sangram Vajray, chief evangelist and co-founder for Terminus, and Justin Kitagawa, senior director of product marketing and operations at HG Data. I now wanted to say that I'm really honored and excited to have Sangram Vajray on our show today. As Justin pointed out to our entire company via Slack, he literally wrote the book on ABM. <laughs> he also hosts a daily podcast I frequently listen to and recommend. It's called the Flip My Funnel Podcast. Sangram, thanks for joining us today. I'm pumped. I'm excited to join you guys. I'm like really jumping in because this is going to be a really cool topic. And I know we all are excited about it, prepped for it. Yeah, we're, we're so happy to have you here. Before I get started, I, I did a little digging around, and it looks like you're approaching the four-year anniversary uh, founding Terminus, along with two other co-founders. And I just wanted to ask you, did you ever imagine that ABM, you know, account-based marketing, would get this big, would become its own category, and that, that we'd all be talking about it, that we'd be doing you know, broadcasts about it like we're doing now? How does that feel? Oh, it is, uh, man, that's like hitting right at the emotional level of, of <laughs> getting things going. And we did not prep for this part of the question, for sure. <laughs> you know, to be very honest, no, did not imagine it to be a category, did not imagine for people 
really take it and own it and run the way it's running. I think we all would love to have those categories. And there are 7,000 plus marketing technologies, and there are hardly maybe three or four different categories of things that people kind of fit different things in before they purchase, before they make any decision. So for ABM to become mainstream, I think it's a, it's a big accomplishment for the community. Uh, I think the entire community was longing for it. We all were getting trained. We've been doing something. And I think there was that the, the timing just worked out to be pretty much the right timing uh, for the book, for the company. So I feel personally very su- super blessed and, and happy and excited about that. At this, and at the same time, just seeing people actually have job job titles now called account-based marketing. That's like phenomenal. I, I like, I literally give hug to everyone I see that has that a job title because that means that uh, we all together have changed something, done something. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we're doing it here all the time, right? So that's why we're so excited to have you on board. We, we call you like the godfather of ABM. Uh, all the gray hair. Can you see the gray hair, man? That's, <laughs> that's where the godfather comes from. All right, so I'm gonna start us off with our first question for today. So Sangram, how does ABM differ from traditional demand gen? In many ways, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. For, for example, it does because we all need to look at it more strategically. And I think I, I remember one of the reasons I co-founded Terminus was at Pardot, we used to generate crazy amount of leads. And one, one year, one I think it was the last quarter um, before I left, we hit every single record out there of like number of leads for the company, right? So my bonus was based on that. As crazy as it sounds at that point. And then I was happy, excited. I felt like I did my job. And the very next week I had uh, worked with my sales leader and they said, man, that was awesome. Can you generate a thousand more leads next week and or next month or the next quarter? And I was like, that, that was, that's literally destroyed my confidence in my ability to be a marketer like point blank. And I felt like I'm a literally glorified lead collector, right? I mean, that's really should be my title. So I think that led me to this, this exploration of ABM was like, okay, well, this is not working. This is problems. The reason it's similar is because now marketers are asked to do demand generation. So that's good. And to me, demand generation now means that you're going after the right accounts. You actually understand what your total addressable market looks like, or you have to answer or at least try to answer that question what is my total addressable market a few years ago maybe four or five we never even asked that question as as marketers and i think that's the big change so similar because now we know what we we are supposed to do but different because i feel we are way more strategic nice and i mean that that kind of i mean it certainly echoes what we hear where we hear from a lot of our customers who are you know our, our best customers are obviously taking on abm as a strategic initiative and I guess, you know, what I wanted to, to kind of ask you even more is, you know, what metrics have you seen really start changing? You know, for example, we, we see a lot of the, the teams that are running ABM are, are they're not focused on the vanity metrics like number of leads or, or num- even number of engagements that they're really starting to focus on things like what's the actual revenue coming out of this? Mm. Uh, are you kind of seeing a shift there in, in the way marketers are, are measuring their own performance? Yeah. Oh, man, absolutely. I feel like that's where the most exciting thing is happening right now is this idea of marketers wanting to have the seat at the table and almost like I feel like pleading and begging that we are doing so much good stuff. Give us a seat at the table to the point like, no, no, no. We actually have data to show that what we're doing actually matters. Right. So it's a very different conversation. So the key metrics that I see 
a lot of forward-thinking marketers use, number one is pipeline velocity. If you think about that, that is such a very nuanced metric that only business operations or CFO or this chief revenue officer is looking at. But in reality, every marketer should be thinking about that. And, and the big reason is if you can increase the velocity of deals in your company, you actually don't have to have the same amount of pressure on net new accounts to close. Mm -hmm. And majority of the folks are kind of have, don't have a demand problem because it's, it could be unlimited. It's really have a pipeline problem. They yeah. like, I don't know any company and I love to get your thoughts on this as well Is I don't know many companies who have like, Oh, we, we need to generate more demand. Well, why? Well, because our conversion rate to customer sucks, right? Yeah. Like nobody <laughs> thinks that that's really the problem. It's not that you need more leads. You, your conversion to, to act is like less than 1% or whatever that is. So if you can increase the velocity, that means if you can increase the conversion rate, and that can only happen if you're going after the right accounts, uh, you change the economics of the business. Exactly. And I think that's what we see, you know, a lot of, and you mentioned before you alluded to kind of that, you know, that kind of perfect storm of things where all of a sudden you had the, the, the technology to be able to kind of pull all these things together. You had the data that you could finally operationalize to be able to find those target accounts. And then you had, again, you know, the, the systems to be able to outreach to them in an effective way. And with that same message across, you know, you know, really multiple channels, which really was difficult to do before. And, you know, certainly for, for marketers now, we're kind of living in a, a golden age uh, of technology. Um, I think everyone's MarTech stacks have, uh, you know, certainly uh, grown a little bit. But <laughs> it, it, it's for me, from a marketing operations perspective, you know, it's been awesome to be able to think about things differently. And it's so refreshing, honestly, to not just be a, you know, a lead machine. And like, you know, I think every marketer's initial reaction when sales comes and says, hey, you know, can you generate a thousand more leads for me? It's like, yeah, but are you, what are you really asking for? You're not asking for more leads. You're asking for more revenue. And I think everybody being focused on a goal like that just makes things so much easier, makes the conversation so much better. And you're not focused again on, on vanity metrics. Like, you know, I just want to get names. All I want is names. Yeah. We, we had this idea, I feel like, that there is an unlimited amount of companies that are going to be your best fit customers. Yeah. <laughs> and the reality is that is so far from, I remember even in my pre, like when we were raising money, and I think this really hit me hard a few months back was when we were raising money, we were like uh, very early days, we were like three co-founders at that time. The market opportunity for this is $5.6 billion, right? <laughs> And, and, you know, I'm, I'm looking at myself like, you know, a few months ago, what was I thinking, right? Yes, of course, it is, but that's like, you know, 10 years from now, it's, it's not going to happen today. And so I feel like we all fool ourselves a little bit by romanticizing with this idea that the market is just really big. The reality yeah. is your best fit customers are probably in a certain segment, in a certain vertical, of a certain size maybe in a certain geographical location, there are certain characteristics that if you really hone in on that, your win rates and the company growth and efficiency model is going to be so much better. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a super interesting point. So, so we talk a lot to our customers about this concept of really refining and kind of discovering or redefining what their true ICP is. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times people have a, a rough concept of what their ideal customer profile is. Maybe it was developed years ago and it's kind of been handed down through, you know, marketing managers over time, but really taking a look at it and, and utilizing the data that's now available. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we help our customers do is figure out, okay, 
is your ICP really, you know, software companies with revenue above a certain number? Or is it people who are using specific technologies with an ABM strategy that are spending at least a certain amount of money in this particular category of IT spend? And all wow. of a sudden you see their ears start perking up like, oh, wait, that's actually a much better definition of what our ideal customer is. And even though that number may be smaller, there's likely more revenue potential out of those core accounts that I can get to, you know, in a much more effective way rather than trying to go after the wide market, you know, like you said, thousands and thousands and thousands of companies that appear to be in your ICP, but, you know, are very likely not once you really dig into it. No. But the the 5.6 billion, right, Sangra? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we were going to get there one day, but man, like four years ago, like, yeah, I don't know how somebody gave us money, but somebody did. <laughs> So, hey, I want to move on here. And, and for the people who are new to ABM or thinking about implementing ABM, um, Sangram, I think you and the Terminus team have done a really great job of coming up with a conceptual approach called team to account-based marketing. And I'd like to see if you could just go over that briefly for our audience. Sure. I'd love to. So this is a, a really, I'd love for everybody to even scratch the name Terminus from it. And I'm saying that because I've, I feel like the framework is so much more important and it's not, well, because it's Terminus, it's really just take the word Terminus off it. Just think about it as a team framework. And each of these uh, letters stand for something. So target, engage, activate, and measure, T-E-A-M. And I feel so excited about this one because one, it emotionally hopefully makes everybody recognize that it's a team approach without saying it's not a marketing because I think that's what ABM did in some way. It, it created this idea that it's only for marketers and not for sales. So if you're still in that camp, anybody listening to it, like this should completely dismantle that idea. It's actually a team framework. It is marketing and sales truly working together, which is why they said it's, it's to drive account-based success, not account-based marketing. Uh, in a sense. So it's it's quite simple, but it, in a way, it's hopefully, as we think, super powerful. And, and, and maybe, just maybe, if you are in a process of figuring out what your tech stack should look like, maybe this will help because you can figure out, do I have something to target? Do I have something to engage? Do I have something to acti activate and measure? So asking those people, very, asking those questions very strategically, even when you're building your stack or a strategy for ABM. So from a strategic perspective, let's start with target. Without going after the right one, right accounts, I feel like it's almost a fallacy. Nothing else is really going to come, no matter how awesome the personalization, some of the examples we're about to go walk through. So target, it has to be by far the very first thing. And quite frankly, we completely missed that step in the whole last 10, 10 plus years. We went directly to engage. Hey, let's just create an infographic. Let's just create a, even remember infographic? I don't know if anybody even creates infographic anymore. <laughs> let's create white papers. Let's create uh, all these things. And we were in the engage way before figuring out who to go after. So it's important the order of this one to begin with. Target the right people, focus on them, and then figure out who do you want to engage at a much, much more personalized level. And that goes beyond the online and offline, right? The display advertising world to direct mail world. And there's a lot more that we're going to talk about in examples. The third one, again, I feel like this was a step that was missing in my marketing program when I ran at Pardot and prior to that, which was I did not take the responsibility as a marketer to activate my sales team. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll literally say that again because I think it's so, so, so important. I, as a marketer, it is my responsibility. You, as a marketer, it is your responsibility, I believe, to 
to really activate your sales team. They do not care about your leads. They care about the accounts they want to close. So if you can activate them on their stuff, then it's better just because no salesperson we ever hired had a title lead executive. Their title always have been account executive. So they care about the accounts, give them what they want. So activating sales has been really cool. And then the measuring is, is equally as important because we can't measure the same things and improve the new that we're trying to do. So if you're, in, if you're measuring website traffic, the measurement for, for ABM or focused on this account-based success with this framework would be not to just measure traffic to the website, but measure traffic from the right accounts to the website. Let's say if you're measuring whom, how many people are attending this specific webinar, not just looking at how many people attended the webinar, but look at are the people in the right accounts attending the webinar? Who are these people? And are these best fits so you can have a follow-up? So your measurement really starts changing and going after the right step. So it's quite simple as it says, target, engage, activate, measure. It should help you from a strategy perspective and also from technology perspective. Yeah, I think that, that, that's an awesome point. And this framework really kind of illustrated to me some of the mistakes that I've made earlier on in my career. And I was definitely somebody who said, I want to run this campaign. Now who, I'm, now I'm going to figure out who I should run it against, which is really, you know, like you said, it's completely backwards. And when you think about it, it sounds absurd now. When you think yeah. like, oh yeah, I'm just going to run a, I have this good idea for a campaign. I want to run it. And now let me figure out like, you know, what the market for that would be, as opposed to figuring out like, okay, what are the accounts I actually want to make my customers and how can I best, or what campaigns, what engagement you know, methodologies should I actually use for those particular accounts? Because they're going to be different. Like, you know, account A may react very differently than account B. And I think, again, that's why ABM is so exciting to me. And what I hear from a lot of our customers, you know, the same thing is, is all of a sudden this, this shift in like, oh my God, I'm going to go after the accounts that have the most potential revenue for us. And I'm going to figure out exactly how to market to them. On a, on a, like you said, on a, almost an individual level of like, hey, I want to figure out if I want to go after Acme Corporation, you know, what are the messages that are going to work? What are the pain points that they're feeling? And, you know, and then how can I build an integrated campaign across multiple channels to be able to go after them? And I think that's where, you know, again, for me, at least uh, the, the, the team kind of methodology really changed the way that, that I think about, about marketing and how to build campaigns. Uh, that, I mean, that's great. I, I feel like if we all have made mistakes and this is really an opportunity for all of us to raise our hand, I have bot leads before like you know we all can raise our hands and say i have essentially ran email campaigns and hope that everybody downloads my ebook and i have done all those things and i feel like oh my goodness what what was i thinking so here's a chance to redeem ourselves yeah, yeah i mean and, and you know kind of one of the stories that that i like to tell or like you know we talk to a lot of prospects or i talk to a lot of prospects and a lot of times the first thing we hear is you know i want to buy a, a list of people who are using a specific software and, you know, it, it's a reasonable request. And, you know, we start going into, we start digging into it and we quickly figure out like, well, what are you trying to do? Well, what are your actual goals here? Well, you know, we think that they're better, they make better prospects for us. Okay, well, have you really dug into that? Have you really, you know, take a look, taken a look at what your, your true ICP is? And once we start walking them down that process, which really is kind of having the, the conversation about shifting to ABM a little bit, we're yeah. really able to kind of change their mind from, hey, I want to acquire a list of people to go after to, wait, I actually want to determine what those core set of accounts that I should be going after is. And then I can worry about how to attract those people and, and how to get a hold of them. But you know, we need to nail that first part before we start trying to figure out who the, uh, the actual contacts, who they are. So on that point, 
Justin, nailing that first part. We actually have a question here from the audience. Someone was asking, well, our next big question actually is, how do you determine which accounts to target for ABM? And the question from the audience is related, asking, how should I go about picking my first accounts? So this sounds like someone who's kind of doing it for the first time, but I think, you know, in answering the, how do you determine which accounts will help this person out? Yeah. Go ahead, Justin. I'll love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so I like, I mean, we've all heard the the term, you know, minimum viable product. I like to think of the idea of like, what is the, the minimum viable target or minimum viable campaign that you can run? So, and even if it's just a mental exercise of trying to figure out if I only had the resources to market to 10 accounts, what would those accounts be and why? To me, that helps kind of figure out what the, the DNA is of your ICP and of the accounts that you really want to go after. And you can start finding commonalities, which you can then use later when you want to scale that campaign. But for me, it really starts with, you know, with that. Another helpful thing, I think, for a lot of people is, is to go out and look at what types of data is actually out there. I think a lot of marketers are constrained by their preconceived notions of what types of data are available. So like I said before, you know, we're all used to uh, defining things by annual revenue, number of employees and in industry. And, and for a long time, you know, it was basically those three were kind of the way that people define things. And there's so much more data available now. And you know, so looking at stuff like IT spend, like uh, technographic information, not to not to just plug ourselves, but you know, those are, are are great ways to actually, again, you know, really redefine what the ICP is and really redefine who your target accounts should be. Again, I don't know about you, Sagar, but I think you know, starting off with like the what is the smallest successful campaign I can possibly run. To me, that that's been a helpful uh, kind of mental exercise. Yeah, totally. I'll give an example of um, just you know one one of the amazing customers uh, who do do great stuff. Uh, Thomson Reuters. I mean, it's a big company, public company, and and you know you think a lot of people think that well, it's easy for startup companies to do ABM reboot everything. No, it's actually big companies are they're, everybody's moving in this direction in some way, shape, or form. In their case, they only go after 250 or so accounts, and and that's what they focus on, right? And they're able to have 95% win rate. I mean, I literally posted that posted this like last week um, <laughs> on my LinkedIn page. They have 95% win rate from their target accounts. Now, I don't know if anybody is like listening to this and not jumping up and down because if that is actually what you can go back to your CFO and CEO, you should ask for a big fat bonus uh, at the end of the day, <laughs> part of the compensation plan, because if you can hit 95% win rate on your target accounts uh, for your company, which are obviously bigger deals, then you have a winning proposition to have. And I think that's what, that's what targeting really does. So this is an example where, you know, at, at Terminus, how we try to do it. And again, this is something that is a very generic thing that people can use as they want. We try to pull everything in almost sprints. So this is an example where every single SDR, our sales development rep, have no more than 100 accounts. We capped out. We said we will not have our reps have more than 100 accounts because we don't want them to bash and blast. So when that's being said, Every six months, they're constantly recycling the account there where they're not getting engagement. And, and that's where the segmentation process is happening. And as they are going through this process, again, marketing and sales working as one team, we are either creating highly, highly personalized, more engaged campaigns for them or a super, super integrated campaign. And, and we have an example to share where we would, we would go through digital advertising all the way to direct mail. And anything that's unengaged during that period of time will just cycle back in a different queue because they are still best fit, but maybe the time is not right. So, yeah. 
So limiting the number of accounts per rep was a big lesson for us. If we wouldn't have done that, I don't think we would have seen some of the success we have seen. And then that allowed marketing and sales team to truly create a, Justin, you mentioned around a very proactive approach towards getting after these accounts in the right way. You cannot do that when you're going after 10,000 accounts out there. Yeah, and I think, you know, almost that that forced scarcity that you kind of, you know, uh, impose on the organization is a great thing. I think everybody, you know, every marketer's first reaction, uh, I think, you know, going back, you know, certainly in my, in my past is, oh yeah, just go get more companies, just go get more leads, just go get more. And it's like, instead, you know, again, if you, if you, if you really force yourself to focus on the core set of accounts that you want to achieve, it's like, it's like goals. If you, if you create too many goals for yourself, you're not going to be able to achieve them. But if you're really able to narrow those down into a core set that you can really focus on, you're going to see things like 95%, you know, conversion rates. And, you know, nobody's going to say that, oh yeah, that was a failure. Like that, that's an insane metric that if you were to tell someone that, you know, before the ABM days, they would laugh you out of the room. Like that's, that's an insane proposition to start with. So. Well, you know, yeah, Justin, we're going to ask you for 95% conversion (laughs) with the next next ABM program. Yeah. If any sales or any, any leaders are listening, they're like, yeah, we want that. Uh, Let's do that. (laughs) But you know, you also made me realize about this point, Justin, is when you create, when we, when we create these programs in our organization, I think, setting expectations is so incredibly important in the process like this it might look very simple slide in a sense it probably took us three iterations of doing it wrong before we got this right yeah i, I want every, everybody to listen who might be starting with ABM program know that you have to iterate very very fast because you are going to get it wrong this is not standard this is your maybe your maybe your marketing team is not aligned you have to first get them aligned on this idea Maybe then your sales team is not aligned, so you have to find the people on your sales team that might be great to pilot with, right? And maybe your sales team is aligned, but maybe the leadership is not aligned. You know, you have to go through all of these things until everybody aligns and saying, here's what we're going to do, here's how we're going to measure, here's what we're going to do, and here's how we're going to report on, and we will never not stop until we start seeing improvement in this thing, because this is a better way to do our job. I think somebody has to take this down. Yeah, and and we we hear the same thing over and over again. Like if a marketing organization tries to take on ABM by themselves, it's it's very very difficult to be successful there. You know, you really you need to have engagement from you know the executive team, from the sales team, especially like I said, if you're going to be limiting all of a sudden the number of accounts that your sales teams can own, without without a clear understanding and clear alignment there, you know, you may be hearing from them a little yeah. bit on that. So. Yeah, I think you guys actually I think you guys actually covered one of the questions from the audience. The audience question was, you know, how do you get executive buy-in? But in that discussion that we were just having, you kind of covered some of that there, Sangram, unless you want to add some more more to well, it. Well, the only thing I'll add to that, David, is that it, it doesn't happen overnight. Your executives don't have never the only reason executives ask for leads and the CEOs of the board is because they didn't know what to ask. It sounds pretty stupid, but that's really what it boils down to. Marketing never gave them any other way. Okay, marketing, what do I want from you? Okay, I want a better website, a better message, brand presence at the booth, make sure that we have the right swag. Oh, and yeah, by the way, get me leads so we can actually close more deals. So it it, it was just the way the board, the executive, the CEOs of the companies, I mean, that's what the whole thing was. And now finally, I feel like in this era, marketing can say, wait a minute, 
we can do two big things for you that marketing has never done before. Number one, we're going to help you figure out who's the right account to go after, your fit. And I'm going to tell you when they have intent, I'm going to activate my sales team to go after it. That's not a conversation that happened a few years ago, right? And now a marketer can actually go and say, that's one, like, I'm going to tell you who to go after. And I'm going to also share with you when to go after them. That is really cool. When to go after them, because I don't want to waste your time as a sales rep, right? And then two, because marketing has all this data where they can look at all the engagement, marketing can actually now forecast, which has been amazing to hear from a lot of the folks. Marketing can actually forecast and say, hey, Mr. Salesperson or Ms. Sales uh, Leader, we're saying that we're going to close all of these 10 accounts. Guess what? We only see engagement on these two accounts. There are only three people per account that they have visited the website a few times. Some people have responded. The other eight companies that you said will close, there's no engagement whatsoever from those eight accounts. Marketing actually can do the bookends on both sides, which I feel is going to completely change in 2019 uh, the role of a marketer in the organization. Yeah, and I think, you know, being able to forecast and really, like you said, kind of up-leveling those goals from things like, you know, a number of leads, again, to our actual revenue target or being able to project revenue, that's something that's huge. You know, one of the questions that we get sometimes is like, well, you know, why should I implement this strategy, you know, even if it's technographics or ABM? And I, I think really the answer for, for why implementing any strategy within marketing or sales or, or really anything even in your life should be that it works. We're not asking you to, to implement technographics or implement ABM because it's a, a cool new fad and everyone else is doing it. You know, I think the results from ABM, you know, some of them, which are quite shocking, really speak for themselves. And I think yeah. you know, when you're talking you know, to an executive team, show them and show them some of the success that other, other companies are having and say, this wouldn't be possible without a change in the, the approach that we're taking. That you know what we're doing now, you can't just make modifications to a traditional demand gen you know strategy to kind of turn it into an ABM strategy. You really kind of have to think about it ABM first, account based first, or else you're not really going to be able to succeed there. Amen. So, guys, how does setting up the right target accounts help the way in which you engage with those accounts? So this this sounds like it's more like okay, I've got the right accounts set up now. How is that selection going to influence the types of things, types of campaigns, types of direct mail, display ads, what we do? Well, we can just go to the next slide. Um, I think uh, where we, we actually have an example where we can just walk through this literal thing, right? So this is, this is an example where we had, where we're going after this account, uh, Corterra, and we understood what their pain point is. And we understood that one of the biggest challenges was they trying to get in front of their right helping their future customers with the right commercial credit data, right? That's that's where their pain point was. So we know logos is really hard to use. You get like legal issues when you start using logos, but you can use text uh, to get in front of the right companies, especially if you can get in, when you're putting an ad in front of them. So you can see in here, we have this one-to-one -one ad, one-to-one. -one. Again, that is really, really key. If you know that account is that important for you, then doing that one-to-one -one ad that takes them to this one-to-one -one landing page, which does not have a form, tell me your mother's maiden name anywhere. <laughs> it literally has, this is welcome, this is page created for you. And the salesperson, in, the, in this case, Meg, she's the one who's working on this account. She created a video of herself saying why we're working and why we think we can help you, why we think we can serve you the best. All of this is getting done at this point 
across only for this account because we believe that they are not only best fit, we also believe that they have the right intent. And if we can create the right amount of engagement in this, then we know that we will win this account. Now, to do this, if we didn't believe Cortera was the right company, we messed it up, right? Like we just wasted Meg's time, we've wasted their time, we wasted the time of our marketing creative team to come up with this one-to-one -one ad and a landing page. So the, to answer your question, David, or whoever question was that, is that we would waste all this incredible talent of getting in front of them because this will create engagement. Like we have, we have companies, we ourselves have seen where we're getting five times, six times up, you know, click-through rates and other things because it's one-to-one. -one. You can't be mistaken about that, right? So you can create incredible great results. The question is, do you know who you're going after and do you know why you're going after them? And you can see the messaging is pretty clear for us. Yeah, and I think, I mean, what I would add to that is from, from our perspective, you know, again, a lot of our customers come to us to help with, with establishing what their target accounts should be for an ABM strategy. And one of the things we can do, especially with the kind of the technographic side of things, is, is not only help them figure out who those companies should be, but also what to say. So, you know, we always like to say that, that every product tells a story. So, you know, I'll, I'll make you know, an easy example, kind of a, a throwaway here. But if a company is using Terminus, there's a pretty good shot that they're using an, or have an ABM strategy. You know, implemented. So, so that's one of the things that we'll actually look out for. You know, for us internally, ABM people who are using ABM or running ABM programs are are usually savvy consumers uh, of marketing data, and you know, being able to go after them and say, hey, you know, are you looking for for better data to help fuel your ABM campaigns? You know, that level of kind of personalization or or customization, I think, goes really well. And I think again, the more targeted you can be, the more you can know about each individual account, and then shape and form your messaging around what you can what you can discover about them. Totally, totally. This level of personalization is, I feel, 101, not 201. Yeah. And I feel like even that's where we need to get to. But like this is, I think, if companies, if you are doing ABM, if you're not doing one to one, uh, we would, I think, on behalf of Justin, David, and I, we would challenge everybody to really consider. If, if that, that your tiering of your accounts makes sense. Yeah. You can't, if, if you have shortened your target list and if you're still doing more of the generalized ad where it says, hey, you know me, we are so-and-so kind of ad, then you have missed the mark and missed the point of doing ABM. Personalization yeah. is super key if you truly understand the tiering in your accounts. Yeah, one of the ways that I kind of, and this, a friend actually explained ABM to me in this way, and it really helped kind of drive it home for some reason for me, is if you were to flip the situation around, and let's say I was looking for a new job, and yeah. I didn't take an, an ABM type approach, and I just started sending like blanket resumes out to everybody with the same cover letter that was like maybe a little bit changed, like you could imagine the success rate of that. Yeah. But if you were to really go and like, you know, it's almost expected from from a you know a job seeking perspective. But if you kind of take that approach of like, oh yeah, I actually need to know this company, kind of understand what I can do for them, and then you know really kind of personalize it. All of a sudden, it's like, oh yeah, that that's an obvious thing to do. And I don't yeah. know why like it took so long for us to apply that in the marketing. But yeah, great point. That that's great, man. It's it's, it's the way to do it the right right way. We're not wasting time. So I love that as an example. So Sangram, on a related note, you know, what's some of the data that you find most helpful for selecting target accounts? I mean, obviously we've talked about Firmos and that's kind of how like, you know, baseline, right? Everybody does that. But what's that extra stuff that you need to really get those target accounts right? Well, I mean, we can go, we can geek out on that. Like, big, 
by now. <laughs> sure, like I'm sure you both can do totally kind of geek out on that. And the reality is that it, it, you can make it as complex as you want in this process. But if you're in the early stage, I would say just just narrow it down, right? I think that's like the number one thing. Just narrow it down. Whatever you started with, just use that as a rule. Like I want to narrow it down further. I want to narrow it down further. Ask the question, why this, why this, why this? And get to a point where you actually literally come down to maybe 100 or less than 100 accounts that you can go because then that's when you can really start looking at it. And then the next logical question that we have seen being asked and, and helped is, okay, now even with those 100 accounts, and if I have a couple of reps, I can't really create personalized experiences for all 100 of them. And actually, if you really close all 100 of them, I don't know if I can even service those 100 accounts with, you know, if you really run into those things, right? So clearly, that's not going to be the way it's going to work. So the other way to look at it is among these 100 accounts, who have the intent to buy? Right. And now you're starting to look and peel under the layer is that, OK, I'm now going to be passively looking at it, passively making sure we are connected with all these 100 accounts, observing when to jump in, when to when when are things happening in these accounts online. And as soon as certain things happen, that makes sense to me. Now I'm going to go in like this is my prioritized list. Now I got my top 10 accounts that I'm going to go nail it this quarter because that's what I need to hit on my quota, our numbers and all that stuff. I feel like it's it's a very sequential thought process where you really take a step back, narrow it down, and then go through this fit intent engagement idea to really go into the right accounts before you really jump into all of it. Yeah, and I think you know again what we hear over and over again from our customers is I think everyone at first tries to find the the silver bullet data point that's going to be like the thing that they base everything on. Yeah. And I think what what's really important is is to realize that that probably doesn't exist. And, and what you really need to do is use a combination of these data points. Like you said, just kind of keep narrowing it down, narrowing it down and, and try to, you know, really, really get to that, that core level. One thing that I will say is actually really interesting um, is, is kind of the, uh, the introduction of, of IT spend data uh, and being able to figure out not only what are, you know, what are my, my core accounts going to look like, but what's the actual market opportunity for us there? Because that can actually shape, again, the types of accounts you're going after. Like you may quickly figure out like, oh, yeah, these accounts look really, really good and, and they have no money to spend or have a, don't have as much money to spend as these ones over here. So being able to kind of size markets like that, we've actually seen a lot of our customers start utilizing uh, the IT spend portion of it in conjunction with everything else, of course, to, to kind of help guide where they're going to put their ABM efforts. That, that is a great point, Justin. You know, one of our customers, we started this customer in the office program, which has been phenomenal to learn for every business. Like, I think every company should do that, have their customer come in every six, eight weeks or so in the office. So yeah. not only who you're selling to, but the operations person, the, mar- the the finance person, or the person who is in the services, the billing department, they need to know why we do what we do. The engineers who are building the stuff, like they, they need, everybody needs to know and feel and understand the words they use. But they said something really interesting. They look at their customer, because they're going after such a niche market, they look at companies' 10K reports, mm. right? Think about that for a second. So they yeah. have this outsourced company that looks at all the target accounts' 10K reports for the quarter. And every quarter, based on what they have in that 10K report, they're able to create messaging and then they go after it because the deals are so big. And, and it is a financial change in the market in, in that company's growth trajectory. So knowing what's in their 10K and what their priorities are, that's how they're creating their message. So again, they can do this for 10,000 companies, but they're doing it for the ones that they really care and their win rate is exceptional. 
You actually just kind of gave me flashbacks to my my very first internship at a company was at an ERP company where my entire job for eight hours a day was to do account research, including going through annual reports to try to figure out any little bit of information that our, our sales teams could use. And I, I think before yeah, that just kind of shows. Yeah. People have been trying to do that. Um, and before it took hiring a poor intern to sit there and do that all day. <laughs> but, yeah. but now, you know, of course, there, there are, uh, you know, data science, you know, has taken us a lot further in that and being able to use things like natural language processing to be able to yeah. go through that and uh, and not uh, ruin an intern's summer quite as much. So, yeah. <laughs> Awesome. All right. So our next question, you actually covered some of this in your example slide here from Cortera Sangram. But when it comes to personalization and customization, what type of approaches have led to some of your greatest gains? Oh, you know, it, somebody shared this with me is like, hey, look, you know, the worst people to market to are marketers and legal people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> marketers will see it through every time and they would they would find like, you know, what's working, what's not and test it. And you almost feel like you're making progress, but you're actually not. All they're doing is bringing you along because they're just testing how good of a marketer you are. And then legal, you do anything and they're going to like, oh, you know, put a you know, saying, hey, don't do that kind of stuff. Right. So the worst <laughs> marketers and legal. And I say that because, you know, let's just go to the next one um, as an example where we we are using this idea of like, hey, look, we're target, obviously we're getting people excited about ABM and we want to say, well, ABM, you know, success is sweet and determinist, it's a piece of cake. And then somebody came up with the idea like, well, why don't we have cupcakes? So our ads now have cupcakes on it, which when that person or that team, whatever, whoever we're targeting, clicks on it, goes to an ad and that whole Uber, we use Uber Flip on the back end uh, as a stream. So that whole Uber Flip stream has cupcakes all over it. And then again, the, the person who's working on that account, in this case, like for the puppet, that Terminus loves puppet. Like it, it's literally on that screen right there and we know what they're interested in. And there's a video from our, our salesperson who's saying, hey, and you can see she's right in the middle, right there as, as a person that we are fully focused on as that she is the, she's the person who's gonna be the guide, not the hero, the guide for that, that success. And then finally, as they progress, we deliver literally cupcakes to their office and now we get that entire sales and marketing team talking about this as like, okay, who bought these cupcakes? Well, there's a company called Terminus, but what about them? And then there's a conversation going. And the whole point of this is that as much as the high tech campaigns are great, so are the high touch campaigns. And I think the integration of high tech and high touch is where the real love is, where the real excitement is, and where I think the true emotions are that drives some good results. Exactly. And I think, you know, again, you know, that, that, that center page there that has the, the pieces of content on there, being able to pick out the content that you, you are pretty certain that this company is actually going to be or find relevant is absolutely huge. I think, you know, when everyone first started doing these types of things, they would kind of just throw in the same content with like maybe a little bit of a customization on the top. But, but again, being able to figure out, you know, what a company's strategy is or what a marketer's, you know, strategy might be or what pain points that they're, they're currently feeling, again, you know, for us based on, on their current uh, tech stack is a huge piece of information to be able to use. And again, a lot of our customers are doing the exact same thing with that where they're able to figure out, hey, you know, if a company is using this competitor, they're likely facing these particular pain points and they're using this other complementary technology that we have an integration with. So I'm going to bring up that. And it, it almost makes like a, a, you know, a bill of materials for all the different types of messaging and things that you can use 
to, to build out these high touch campaigns. And, uh, you know, again, I don't, I know we always bring up, uh, you know, our, our friend James over at TGAL, but he was able to do the same thing. He, he was able to figure out, you know, what his target accounts were. And by, by figuring that out, he was able to, to increase the revenue out of his target accounts by 49%. Again, you know, but by, by using, in this case, it was just technographics, but using uh, marketing information that's available to, to figure out not only what the target accounts should be, but what the messaging should be, and then build campaigns around that. Oh man, I, this reminds me also of like so this, uh, one of our sales reps. His name is Jim Tochi, and we call Jim him Jimbo with love. And he would give the biggest hug in the morning. He's like the first one to come in the office, the last one to come. Came in from insurance industry and crushing it in in the Martech space. And he, it is incredible. He knows every one of the customers that he has, you know, got them on terminus or the future customers as he's building relationships with them on text. And I'm like, dude, how is it possible that you are texting a CMO of a public company? Like, how is it possible that you and that person is on a text? Like, I don't have it. And I, you know, yeah. I, feel like I should be able to connect. I have to go through LinkedIn and try to connect with this. How is it possible? And there comes the word that he said to me that made me, you know, recognize the power of relationships. And he said, man, I really care about, I truly care about this account. I truly care that I really think that we can help them. I know what this person cares about. I know what the team really needs. I feel like I understand the needs of my, I truly care. And as soon as he said that, I'm like, yeah, I mean, it just, you know, he oozes care. And because he's not uh, focused on thousands of accounts, he's able to build that relationship where now he's on text. Um, with with the customers and future customers, and when they come to the office, they look for Jim. And then that's the that's the beauty of of building and focusing on the right people. Absolutely. No, that is so cool. Uh, just thinking of that example. I mean, because um, our next question is about how how do sales and marketing activate ABM, and what's kind of the right mix of things to do? And you just Sangram, you just added texting to the mix, right? But <laughs> But that implies that implies that you've probably reached out in some other way, right? Have shown the caring, right? I mean, part of ABM seems to be, look, we care about you, and you know why we care about you? A, a way that we show our care is just the degree of personalization and listening that you guys do to make sure that when you're messaging them, you're really giving them a, a solution to their pain point, right? And you're doing it in all these different you're doing it in all these different ways. I don't know that you, you know, this question, I don't know if you have like a right mix of things that you do, but that was the question is like, you know, how does marketing and how can marketing and sales and, and sales activate ABM and what's kind of like a nice mix of things to do? Yeah. I mean, just, just as you said, there's so many and there's no perfect way to kind of answer that question. What we do internally, and I'll just share that, we have a weekly marketing meeting, which means Sales and marketing are meeting every single week. That just happens. They even sit together, right? It's, it's not in like two different areas, two different floors, two different buildings, two different cities. No, no, no. They sit together. So they're always having the constant conversation. They have a weekly meeting that they have. Every Monday morning, there's a marketing, uh, there's a sales uh, meeting where they talk about the deals closed and what's going on. Marketing has a dedicated spot in that to talk about what are we doing with the top 50 accounts or do that, that we're going to close that quarter. We always talk about engagement and penetration in the right accounts. Okay, we have tier one, tier two, tier three. We have 80% engagement in tier one. Great, things are going good, swimmingly. 
tier two, something is wrong here. We only have 10%. What's, what can we do? Okay, let's talk about it. Based on the data, seven of these future customers are in Boston. Well, maybe we should do a dinner over there, right? Maybe we should throw a partner event. We have another partner, Drift. Let's just partner up with them. So somebody from marketing will ping the... So it's, it's almost like you have this menu of options that marketers have the ability to do. And instead of doing this, we're going to do one webinar a month, one ebook a month, one podcast a month, like, you know, going through that kind of program, program that has no logic behind it beyond that you're just checking the box. You actually go and say, here's the, all the things we could do. What is the best thing to do? And let's just bring sales as part of that conversation. It does wonders, right? So there's nobody's talking about, oh, marketing is not doing their job. No, 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 no nothing is over planned. We're not planning. We're not planning every single event in the world. We're not planning. We have. We can do field events that make sense to do it. We would do direct mail if it makes sense. If we want, if they're all in different locations, maybe we do a webinar with only ten people, right? We just we don't care. Only ten accounts. If they attend, that's great because those are the best ten accounts we can ever have. So let's just create a very very specific webinar on the specific industry and get specific people involved so many different ways it really rips out the band-aid on trying to do webinars events and all that stuff for the sake of it with a hundred percent purpose for it yeah i think you know one of the, the things that, that we've done that's you know really helped is have marketing involved in the sales pipeline meetings and okay. and actually going through account by account hey here's what the status of this is because i think that's a lot of times you know sales reps aren't necessarily used to having you know late funnel support from the marketing team to be like, yeah. oh, wait, no, like we can help you with that. Like you said, like, you know, we, we might be able to, to run an event there. Or we might be able to to launch a you know a super targeted you know, display advertising campaign against that particular account. And I think just having everybody in the same room or on the same call and going over these things and going over the same goal, like our goal is to close these accounts can be huge. And, and it, again, you know, it removes marketers from the tendency to try to say my goal this month or my, my goal this quarter is to run four webinars. When that really shouldn't be the goal that, you know, they, that should be a means to an end, but the goal should be, I want to close, I want to close business. I want to, you know, find new customers to go after. And I think, you know, kind of bringing uh, the, the sales team or bringing the marketing team closer to the sales team could help them do that. Because I think we all know that salespeople are, are pretty oriented in that world already and yeah. kind of bringing the marketing side, I think can, can really have some benefits. Totally, man. The language is so critical. The first time I realized uh, and this was after I started Terminus was that, oh my goodness, nobody hired a lead executive ever. Like, you know, just <laughs> that, it was like such a dumb moment. Like, and I've been, you know, taking this flag of marketing automation, you know, uh, and leads these leads world. And I'm like, oh, of course there's a problem, right? So using the right language, as you said, Justin, is so, so, so important. So our next question is actually going to answer an audience question. They are asking, what KPI should I use? But here's here's the question. Here's the, the, the overall question is, what should you be measuring in ABM and why? And how does this differ from traditional demand gen measurement metrics? All right, Justin, you want to tell you want me to get? Yeah, I, mean, I can start. I mean, I think that what you really want to stay away from, again, are those kind of traditional metrics that are more activity oriented. So you want to stay away from things like oh, I want to get a certain number of leads or a certain number of webinar attendees. Because again, what you should be focused on is the way the revenue that comes out of that. But the way to get to, way to, get to that is focused on the actual people and the accounts that are doing that. So I think when you have just a number of like, I want to get you know, 
500 engaged leads, you're not really qualifying. I want to get 500 of the right people this message to engage with us so that we can move a you know a deal down the pipeline. So to, to me, you know, it really starts with kind of up leveling a lot of the metrics and, and trying to stay away from those things. You know, obviously those things are important for for diagnosing a problem. So if later you want to go in and say our revenue is low, let's try to figure out why and figure out, okay, it looks like you know the the conversion rate was okay, but we weren't getting enough. Then yeah, then more leads might actually be the answer. But yeah, I think you need to focus first at the high level and then kind of cascade down. Although Sangram, I'd love to get to kind of get you, your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, it it all is all true. One thing I have realized is, in order to do something new, you have to stop doing something old. Yeah. Because it it we're just piling up the amount of work and amount of metrics, and if you report on the same metrics in addition to something else the the natural tendency for yourself as well as everybody else around you is going to be the same. So let me give an example of it. Again, uh, this is uh, this is uh, Jeremy at Pramada. He's, he was here last month. It's fresh. Uh, in January, it's last two weeks ago. So it's fresh. And he said, hey, look, last year when we looked at the data, we saw that we our traffic to the website dropped since we implemented account-based marketing. And that was like a a big like red flag right like wait a minute you know what's going on how did the traffic drop and all that stuff they dig in and they compared the traffic to a year ago what happened like how did we drop last year compared to like a year before we were like you know we felt like we're doing more we're doing more important things and what's going on what they found out and i'm I'm, i was just going through because here is something uh i look at the actual data so i'm going to share exactly what he said he said well we considered all the traffic as equal and what they found was in the previous, like a year before, 70% of the traffic was from non-target accounts. So in reality, they were reporting in, in their own way. And I feel like I would have been done, have probably done that forever on reporting on the wrong thing and making everybody excited about how awesome everything is. Well, the traffic wasn't the right thing. So since they moved to ABM, the reality is the website traffic was down by 15%. And but now, and somehow it's the same number, 70% of them are from the right accounts. Now, that's just an example, if, if it can be, of many different things that we all could talk about is if we don't stop, if they all only measure traffic to the website as still the proxy for success, then they would have failed. And, and they're, they're looking at two different things. So now they have completely abandoned looking at traffic to the website as an overall metric and only looking at traffic from the right accounts as a as a real metric. So those that is just one of the many changes I think we all have to start considering in this process of going from status quo to maybe 1.0 marketing to a 2.0 marketing, which is gonna be a game changer. Yeah, and I think you know you really you can't overemphasize the importance of changing those metrics because metrics influence be- people's behavior. So, you know, like, it, it, again, if you're if you're going to try to focus on, on just the number of people that are coming to your website or just the number of people that are that are in a campaign or, you know, even on a more broad level, the number of people that are in your your ICP or, to, or total addressable market, if you're just focusing on that number, you're going to miss a lot. And what you're doing is you're you're incentivizing people in a behavior that's actually counterproductive. So I think, again, you know, it, a lot of times I think people view view metrics as just kind of a thing. Oh, yeah, just to see whether or not this worked. The metrics that you start off with and that you you inform the team that you are going to be measuring can have a huge impact on how people actually uh, go about implementing that. 
and and the steps that they take because again you know people know what they're going to be measured on and it's it's an incredibly important part of, of making the transition absolutely sangram you mentioned in another show you had mentioned that you guys kind of stopped focusing on measuring campaigns your your example was like the website traffic and what yeah. you really started going after is measuring account penetration yeah. So I just wonder if you if you elaborate a little bit on okay, what does that mean? What what should I be measuring in terms of account penetration? What's what do you guys look at? Yeah, that's a great 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 question. Um, a, because I feel like it's not talked about as much, and we we definitely not doing a good job of making it mainstream. So that's my cue for like you know start focusing on that. Uh, but I first heard about it at the last Flip My Funnel conference last year in Boston by the team at Log Me In. The team had logged me in, talked about the fact that, again, it's a, it's a billion-dollar company. When you talk about change, change is hard. Change is really hard when you're in a big company. So get over it, right? Everybody thinks change is hard. And, and they talked about this idea that they got everybody behind this idea of account penetration. And when we dug deeper, it's like what they meant, because I considered account engagement, okay? If, uh, if there are more people, if, there, if there's more time spent by the, this particular account on our website, then and that's great. If they're spending time on our webinar, if they're coming to our website, if they're talking to our sales rep, that's engagement to me, right? That's great. But they started looking at something really interesting. As I understood, they started looking at how many people actually are engaged from that account in order for that to be a valid deal. Because they realized that there could be more than one, uh, that, that at a minimum, they got to have three or four or five people part of the decision-making process. So the more penetrated you are in this account, meaning if the more people are engaged in that account, then your chances of winning that deal just goes higher. And it, it obviously makes for complete sense, given the fact that there are, what, 7.8. I don't know how they came up with 0.8 or 0.9 <laughs> people. Anyway, so like 7.8, 10, or you know, so many more people in the decision-making process. Their point was like, look, we just don't want to engage David. We want to engage David, Justin, and like four other people in their team. And the more people are involved in it, the higher our chance of winning. So penetration is really, are we engaging not just that one person who's championing the deal, which, who would probably be spending the most time, but who are the other people? Because they're not going to fill up the form on your website. No CEO, no CFO, no CM, like none of them are. They're going to have somebody else do it. So, but they will come to your website. They will probably check it out. They will probably see your ad. They will probably, if you, they won't fill the, they will watch the video if you got the right message in front of them of a case study and stuff. So they, their penetrations really are the more people involved uh, from that account. So yeah, account penetration is actually one of the metrics that we use quite a bit. It's right on the header of our records in Salesforce. It's like what percentage of this account or of these, uh, target personas within this account, do we think are actually engaged with us? So that's using, you know, utilizing things like marketing automation and our website to be able to track who's actually coming to our website, uh, yeah. combined with, you know, who's attending things like webinars like this, who are using our freemium products. And we're actually trying to calculate a percentage to try to say, hey, you know, we think that 15% of the marketing organization within this company is actually engaged. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that this has helped us do is actually be able to, to treat SMB to mid-market companies and enterprises a little bit more fairly in that metric. So when you first look at you know, the number of people engaged, you might have you know 15 people engaged in the marketing organization in a you know multi-billion-dollar company, which is a very very you know shallow penetration rate for that. But at a smaller company, that may be the entire marketing. 
Yeah. So it, it really, really helped us, you know, focus in on, okay, what, where, where is the actual engagement and what does that mean? So, you know, the account penetration thing, you know, as soon as you brought that up, I was like, oh yeah, we have that on Salesforce. <laughs> um, it, it's a great way to, to think about an account um, and a great way to kind of go deeper than just a traditional uh, score or count scoring model. Absolutely. Love that. You guys, you're not going to believe this. We're like to the end of our show. <laughs> well, what I do is you guys leave this. We did not record a thing. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, what? This was so good. No, no, no. I just want to thank you both. This has been a great discussion today. I hope if you're in the audience out there, you've learned a lot. What I also want to ask is, Sangram, what's the best way to reach you if if people want to follow up on things that they heard in in this broadcast today? Yeah, that well, that's my email. I'll give my cell phone number to 404-944-8665. Don't call me. I will never pick up. But if you text <laughs> me, I will answer back. That that's always works for me. And I typically post something on a regular basis on LinkedIn. And, but I'm, and I also feel if you guys are cool with it, this was so good. I love both David, your and Justin's thoughts. I might play, if you guys are cool with it, on the podcast, just the recording of it at some some point, because there was so many good nuggets of this. Absolutely. We, we would love that. Justin, you want to give your, your details out as well? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I'll, I'll give my, my cell phone number out too. Um, so yeah, uh, you can reach me at, at 805-403-0310. Like Sangram says, you call me, I probably won't answer, um, but, but I will respond to a, a text. You can also reach me at my email address there or at just justin at hedata.com. Um, if you have any questions about technographics or how we can help you know, build any targeting, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. Awesome, guys. Hey, thanks again for doing this. Um, really enjoyed the conversation. Sangram, it was a pleasure having you on, on here. We got the Godfather on. We would love <laughs> to do more shows like this with you in the future. Justin, great insight there on all the stuff you do for, um, for us here at HG Data. So it's David Guerra signing off. Goodbye until next time, everyone. Love you all. Thank you. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.